So there was a small village on the way to Jerusalem. It was probably like most of the villages uh, in that area at that time, a normal village full of normal people. I mean, you had a variety of people, just like we have a variety of people in our communities today. But on this particular day, this village was very different. There was something peculiar going on that they didn't really know how to explain it, probably. Because on this particular day, there was something happening. The people within that village that were crooks, that were thieves, that were murderers, that were tax collectors, in other words, people who had sold out their family and their friends to make a buck, all of these people at some point during this morning, happened to be making their way out into the community. They probably would have been people who oftentimes would have stayed behind closed doors until nighttime when they could go out and not feel the stares of people around them or hear the whispers of people talking about them. It wouldn't have just been those people. It also would have been people who were crippled, who were lame, who were blind, who were deaf, who had some sort of deformity, because in that culture, that also would have been seen as a result of sin. So on this particular day, all of these sinners happened to be opening up their doors and looking down the street and making their way into the courtyard, and they certainly would have been catching the eye of one another and giving each other a wave as they begin to make their way into the community. Now, if you're being a normal person like you are, if you're stepping out into the village that day because you need to go down to the market and get some eggs at their local Hebrew H-E-B, you know, as you're making your way down there, you probably would have stepped into the streets and said, oh my goodness, what's going on? I've stepped into the wrong place at the wrong time because I know who those people are and I don't know what's going on. You certainly would have had a feeling of, what did I just get myself into? I remember having that feeling once. I was thinking about it this week because it was spring break several years ago. And uh, on this particular spring break, we had gotten out of town and uh, we just wanted to spend a few days away. We got a hotel room and I thought, all right, I'm up early. We're not doing anything till later in the day. And I think I'm just going to go for a run, try to be a little bit healthy during spring break because I'm probably going to pig out later, right? And so I'm going to go for a run. I like exploring new places. And so I kind of checked the map and there wasn't a whole lot around the hotel, but there was a neighborhood back behind the hotel. So I thought, okay, I'll just go run through the streets of the neighborhood, right? And so I'm going and I'm, I'm running through the streets. I say running. It's, it's pretty slow, you know. And so I'm going through the streets nice and slow, <laughs> trying to stay alive. And uh, I make my way around a corner. And then I realize as I get down to the corner, it's a cul-de-sac. So I think, okay, I'll run down to the end of the cul-de-sac and then I'll come back. So I do that. And then I'm slowly coming back around the corner. And as I come around the corner, I notice probably seven or eight houses up. There's a man standing next to the street, uh, in the street, right next to the sidewalk. And uh, he's got a hoodie on. He's got his arms crossed. And he's just standing there. And I think, all right, well, that's peculiar. I guess he's, you know, one of the nosy neighbors keeping an eye on what's going on in the neighborhood. As I get closer, the guy's not moving. So I think, okay, well, I'll just make my way over to the other side of the street nice and slowly, right? So I start running on the other side of the street. He moves over to the other side of the street. And I start thinking, oh, man, what did I get myself into, right? This was one of those moments where I'm thinking, 
okay, this doesn't look so good, but surely it can't be that bad. And I already realized I'm probably not going to outrun this guy because I'm not fast anyway, and I've already been running for a little bit, so I've spent whatever I have in the tank. And so as I start to get closer, I notice he's pointing and he's saying something. So then I'm really thinking this can't be good. So I take out my earbuds to see what he has to say. And he's a little ways in front of me, and I couldn't quite make out what I'm saying, so I gave him, you know, this motion right here. And he says, look behind you. At that point, I'm really starting to feel like, oh my goodness, I should have never gone out of the hotel and into this neighborhood because I have no idea what's behind me. And I've got somebody standing directly in my way, but I figure if something's coming behind me, I at least want to take this guy's advice and look behind me. So slowly, I look back over my shoulder, and all there is is an old pickup that's got a for sale sign on it. And he says, it's for sale. Like, okay. And I say, thank you, but uh, I'm good. I don't need anything. And then he says, if you buy it, you don't have to run places. <laughs> to which I wanted to say, dude, I, I don't run because I like transportation. I run because I like donuts, you know, and, and that's it. And so I just keep going as fast as I can past this guy. But I had that moment where I was thinking, what did I just get myself into? And if you were in this particular village on the way to Jerusalem, you probably would have felt that way. Because the streets that day were filled with the people that you typically would have avoided. The people that if you saw them coming, you probably would have gone to the other side of the street. And it wasn't just one person, it was many people that day. There was a crowd of people gathering in this community that didn't belong in the community, at least by the thought of most people, who weren't welcome in that community. These were people who had lived enough life that they knew they didn't belong anymore. Because of the choices that they have made, the situations they put themselves in, or maybe just the circumstances that they ended up in in life with no choice of their own. However they got there, these people knew. They had lived it all of their life. I don't belong with you. I don't belong with all of you good people, all you church people of the community. I don't fit in with you. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you felt that way coming to church before of, I, I just don't know based on what I have done in life that I fit. I don't know that I should be here. Maybe you've been somewhere before and you've seen the stairs. You've seen the whispers, you know, as people talk. I, we've certainly felt that since we added another member to our family uh, in the last few months There's certainly a sense of uh, which one of those does not look like the other, you know, and people notice and that's fine. I don't care if people notice and people notice that there's something different. And again, I don't notice, but there's certainly you go through the store and you see the double takes and you see the kids whispering to their parents and the parents sometimes moving their kids over to the other side. You see that and you feel it. And these people, they would have felt those things. And for probably a million different reasons, these people in many ways in that culture would have felt like they were disqualified from what God had for their lives. They knew it. They didn't deserve this this religious culture that was in the world around them. 
But on this particular day, even though they knew they weren't good enough, as they make their way out into the streets, it's because there's something unexplainable going on. There's a sense of hope in the air that they've probably never even sensed before. Sure, they've chased after things that they thought would satisfy them many times or, or would bring them some sort of peace or community even as they just gathered together. But there was something different on this day. And that's why during the day, they're all making their way out into the street because there's something that they want to see. And there's something that they want to hear because on this particular day, they heard. Word had gotten around. Word had spread. Jesus was going to be in their village. And nothing was going to stop them from hearing what he had to say. Because they'd been hearing rumors as Jesus made his way from one village to another village to another village. And one beggar talked to another beggar, talked to another beggar. One crook talked to another crook, talked to another crook. Hey, have you heard about this guy? Have you heard what this guy is saying? They heard that he was healing the sick. That people who were riddled with disease didn't have disease anymore. That people who were blind could suddenly see. That people who had no hope all of a sudden had hope. They heard that he was challenging the system and describing the kingdom of God in such a way that they had never heard before. So everywhere Jesus goes, the crowd is growing larger and larger. And for good reason. We're going to look at Luke 15 today, but we're going to start first in Luke 14. Because as we get to our situation today, let's see something that's leading up to that. Jesus had gone to a Pharisee's house, a very religious man, a teacher of God's word. So in many ways, you could look at it like a pastor. And as I look at this text, I have to see, Adam, you've got to be careful in the way that you live because I can put myself in these people's shoes. But Jesus had gone to this religious teacher's house and had dinner with this guy. And he starts, Jesus starts challenging this man. Jesus said things like this in 14 verses 12 and 13. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And these people who are making their way into the street, they hear that this stuff is happening. And they're like, wait, what? That, that's my category of people. You're saying that this guy who's doing all of this stuff is saying to invite us? And all of a sudden there's this hope rising up within them that maybe God hasn't forgotten them. And so, like I said, one beggar begins to tell another beggar, hey, come and see what I found. Come and hear what I've heard. One thief grabs another thief and says, you've got to come hear this guy with me. And just a side note, that's my challenge to you guys for Easter. None of us are perfect. But as we get closer to Easter here in the next few weeks, let's grab people. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. But would you just say, hey, come and, come and see what I have found as we pray for people and as we invite people. So this crowd is growing, and as Jesus walks through the village, he certainly sees people coming down this street and people coming down that street, and he sees who the people are. And as the crowd begins to follow him, he makes a way, his way to a place where he can stop and have their attention for a moment, maybe a hill, hillside on the outskirts of town, and he gets their attention, and he recognizes their need. 
at uh, Rock Hills, we talk about come as you are. I mean, you talk about come as you are. Jesus set the standard for this, right? They were all there. All of these people were there. And Jesus says, come as you are. I have a message for you. This would have been quite a sight to see. This gathering of people. And so Jesus begins to talk to them. And it says in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. There was a room full, a hillside full of these tax collectors in Jesus and these sinners in Jesus who have all come to hear what he has to say. First thing I want, I hope this sticks with you today is simply this, what we see in these people's lives. If you want to experience God's plan for your life, simply follow and listen. Here's people that despite everything else that had gone on in their life, on this particular day, they chose to follow Jesus and listen to what he had to say. You may not have it all together. You may still have a lot of your life that needs to get in order. I want to challenge you, wherever you're at, just start following and listening. That's why our mission here is just to help people find and follow Jesus. They weren't the only ones there, though, who gathered on that hillside like this room full of people that we have today. There was certainly a group of misfits that had gathered there because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. But yet at the back of the room or the back of the hillside was another group of people. And this particular people were people who were good people. They were religious teachers, like I said, much like myself. And there was a bit of an anger rising up in them. First of all, they'd already heard some of the things that Jesus has said and done, and that didn't sit well with them. But then they see all of you people. Let's see, everybody who's on the back three rows, keep your hands down. Everybody who uh, is in front of them, so the first five rows or so, raise your hands, all right? Okay, all of you are the sinners in the room. Say, I'm a sinner. All right, everybody on the back three rows, raise your hands. There's more of you guys back there. Y'all like to sit at the back. Say, I'm a teacher. All right, so we got a room full of two different types of people. We've got all the people, you guys up here, who know you don't fit into the kingdom of God for a million different reasons. And then we've got those of you who are at the back of the room. And you think that you're good enough. And the reason is you think you're good enough is because you do good things. You follow the law of God to the T. But the problem is you think that you're good enough to earn God's favor. These people at the front of the room realize they'll never be good enough to earn God's favor. So at least in your eyes, those of you at the back of the room, you see yourselves as opposites. There are those people, right? Those people who are at the front of the room. You know the ones, those people, the people that you can't make eye contact with, that if you see them coming down the aisle at HEB, you go another direction because you don't want to rub elbows with those people. That's certainly how the teachers and the Pharisees at the back of the crowd would have seen all the people who are at the front of the crowd, as we see in verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I picture them as they muttered. They muttered with their jaw clenched. This man, he welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. There was a disgust within them. Not just you guys are different than me, but as those people at the back of the room looked at these people and looked at what Jesus was doing, there was an anger and disgust rising up within them. How could these people be here and how could he even want to associate with them in any way? And the good news is, you guys at the front of the room, at least you knew you were sinners. At least you knew, hey, I rob people and I know that it's wrong. I realize what I've done is wrong. I'm a tax collector. I realize I've messed up my life for a buck. I know that I'm a sinner. The problem was the people at the back of the room didn't realize that they were sinners. Side note here, I want you to be careful that you don't condemn people who sin differently than you do. We are so quick to do that. To look at other people, bring condemnation on them, even if we don't say it, even if we just think it within our heart, because the way they sin is different than the way I sin. And the truth is, we all sin. The teachers and the Pharisees of the law just didn't realize that they were sinners just as much as the people in the front of the crowd. So you have two groups in the room who, by many perspectives, are polar opposites, even though they're all sinners. And then you have Jesus who is in the room teaching them, on the hillside teaching them. Now, one of the first rules of public speaking, here's a little pop quiz for you, is know your audience. Very good. You need to know who you are talking to so that you can talk to them appropriately. Jesus aced that in this moment. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He was talking to this group of sinners and tax collectors and rejects. And he was also talking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And as Jesus begins to talk to this group, he doesn't necessarily even do it directly. He just tells them a story. And as he tells them this story, he's talking directly to both groups of people without ever actually talking directly to both groups of the people. Kind of, like, kind of like a good grandfather or grandmother who would pull you aside and say, hey, I remember this time when I was a kid, and it just seems like they're telling you grandpa's story, and it's not till later in life you realize, man, he was teaching me a life lesson in that moment. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's just going to give them this short two, three-sentence story. And he's going to talk to both groups of people at the same time. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So Jesus is telling this story about this shepherd who loses one of his sheep of his flock. And wouldn't you want to go find that sheep? And and wouldn't you rejoice when you found that sheep? And both groups in the audience get what he's saying. The sinners in the group go, yeah, that makes sense. If you lost a sheep, you would do whatever you could to find it. 
And you would rejoice when you found it. And even the teachers of the law say, okay, yes, I, I agree with that. If you lost a sheep, you'd want to find it. And you'd rejoice when you found it. So both groups are totally on track with what he's saying. Everyone understood. And we don't necessarily understand agriculture as much as they would have in that society. So if I could make it just a little bit more palatable to our culture and our perspective. You've gone to Fiesta coming up, right? And you're down there with all the celebration that's going on. And you've brought your kids or your grandkids or your neighbor's kids or whatever group of children is with you. And as you're down there, you know, there's the Ferris wheel and there, you know, all kinds of stuff, the corn dog saying everything's going on. All of a sudden you turn around and look and one of your kids is gone. Do you cancel the rest of your plans for the rest of the day, the lunch you were going to have in a little bit? Do you get as many people as you can to say, drop everything else, I have to find my child? And when you found that child, would you not be overwhelmed with joy and relief? That's the emotion that Jesus is communicating here. Maybe we can even make it a little more vivid for you if you'll watch this video. So Jesus, in telling them this story, he's just setting them up. He's saying, do you understand the emotion that would happen if one goes missing? And the emotion that would happen if one is found? And everybody in the audience, both sides of the spectrum say, okay, yeah, I understand that is a desperate situation. And the teachers who do it for a profession at the back of the room are probably saying, and your point is, sir, you're not a very good teacher. You're just telling this story about a lost sheep. I understand what you're saying, but what's your point, really? And Jesus is setting them up. Now that Jesus has their attention, Jesus is going to give them the punchline. He's going to give them a punch in the gut. He's going to drop the mic. And I picture as Jesus does this, he's been up here teaching, and I picture that he he walks down into the crowd and he smiles at the people who have felt rejected and he pats them on the shoulder. He's letting them know you're accepted. 
Maybe he even paused after he told the story. Everybody understood, and he makes eye contact with the people in the back of the room. Maybe he even walks up and finds the most notorious sinner in all of the group. I got it right, right? And I think he put his arm around this guy or this girl. As he looks at everybody as if to say, I'm with you and I understand all the pain that you felt. And then as he concludes his parable, he says this, as he looks at the people in the room and he smiles and then I think maybe he even gave a death stare to the people at the back of the room and he says, there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who comes home than over 99 who don't think that you need to repent. You can have a seat, sinner. To quote it exactly, he says, I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God and I want you all to be a part of it. The kingdom of God is for you, even though you may have felt like you were disqualified. The kingdom of God is for you. And as he shakes their hands and smiles at them and looks at them in the eye, it's a demonstration of God's grace and love that certainly would have shook everybody in the room. Because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, but they never expected him to go that far. And the same for the people in the back of the room. Now that has gone absolutely too far, Jesus. To say that heaven would rejoice over one of those people... Coming into heaven, and even so, more than me, as Jesus said, 99 people who don't need to repent. Well, you think you don't need to repent, but you just don't realize you're a sinner just like they are. I heard a story years ago about a priest in the middle 1800s named Father Damien of Molokai. You may have heard of him before, but he was a Belgian priest, and he got sent on assignment to Hawaii. And we all may think of that and go, hey... Surf's up, right? I mean, that sounds great. Well, it wasn't so great. He got sent to the island of Molokai, and actually even on the island of Molokai, he was on an outward peninsula. And this very small section of Hawaii is where they sent all the lepers, people who had leprosy, a disease that could not be cured, that would slowly destroy your body. And Father Damien goes to live with these lepers. And as he's out there, he lives there for 11 years. And he gets there and he soon realizes, I can't just preach the gospel to them. I have to live the gospel. And he eats meals with them. And he drinks from the same cups that they drink from. He hugs them. He bandages their wounds. He buries their dead. 11 years later, he finally contracted leprosy as well. Here's a picture of him with some of the kids and a quote from him that says, I would not be cured if the price of the cure was that I must leave the island and give up my work. I am perfectly resigned to my lot. Do not feel sorry for me. He was saying the kingdom of God is with even you. You are not disqualified from God's kingdom. 
Now, the teachers at the back at this point surely would have been saying, okay, enough's enough. Hold the phone, Jesus, because you don't understand. I I realize you're not from this community. Do you realize what Roy has done? That's what they would have been thinking. That guy that you were standing with, do you know who that person is? And the teachers at the back of the law would have had a million objections of why this should not be, why they should not be qualified for God's love. But you see, what they had forgotten is that just a few generations ago, they were Gomer. As we looked at Hosea and Gomer, these were people who didn't remember that all are disqualified. Every one of us are sinners. It is only by the grace and love of God that we can enter the kingdom of God. As we go through this new series, Pursuit at Rock Hills, this is what we're all about. How can we love God and how can we love others, genuinely love others to help them find and follow Jesus? Here's a group of people that on this particular day thought that they were going to seek Jesus to hear what he had to say. But in the midst of seeking him, they discovered it was really Jesus who found them. The awesome thing here is that there is already a seat for them reserved at the table. There was already a spot in the flock for them, right? It was 99 minus 1. And you group of people here thought you never deserved to be in the kingdom of God when really God was saying, I already have a spot for you. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God is waiting for you just to come home. Can I put you on my shoulders, take you home, and let's celebrate. The good news here is that Jesus has already given us a gift. He's already got a spot waiting for us in his kingdom, a purpose for our lives. It's not by an accident even that any of us are here today. Jesus has found us. It's simply up to us to realize the gift that he has given us and the grace that he has offered us. Maybe even, and I can put myself in this category, maybe even you tend to be more of a Pharisee than one of the lame and crippled. You can tend to try to do everything good enough thinking that that's going to please God. And you can tend to look at these people and see them as those people. And if that's you today, I invite you just to say, God, would you remind me that I need your grace? Maybe you need to change seats. Maybe you need to move from being a teacher and a Pharisee and come up here and sit among the broken. Right? Come and sit among these people and say, I'm a sinner, just like all of you. And at that, as Jesus finds us, he says, when you come home, There is a party. There's a celebration. Do we not celebrate when we bring the lost one home? So the good news is today, the kingdom of God is for you. If you've ever blown it, the kingdom of God is for you. If you're struggling today with the thoughts in your head, the emotions in your life, the relationships that you have, the kingdom of God is for you. If you're struggling with addiction, the kingdom of God is for you. If you've been rejected and burned over and over again, the kingdom of God is for you. And he's already reserved a spot for you. Would you let him put him on your shoulders and bring you back to his presence. There's a great way in the New Testament how we celebrate that. And that's right here. Baptism is a symbol 
of Jesus has found me. I once was dead, and now I've been given new life. If you're here today, and you need to say, I need to just come home. I need to be put on the shoulders of Jesus and welcomed home, even though I'm broken, even though I've made bad choices. I am accepted in the family of God as I surrender myself to Him. I'm going to pray and close this here in just a minute, but then we're going to have baptisms. And uh, we'll just go a few minutes longer to have baptisms. But I want to encourage you. Uh, We're going to have a worship song. If you've never been baptized as a believer and you need to say, God, I surrender all that I am. I am yours. We want to welcome you into the family of God and celebrate with you just like that one sheep that has been found. Rejoice with you like a family member that was lost and is now found. We have a change of clothes out in the atrium out there. There's a shirt, there's shorts, we've got plenty of towels. So I know you didn't come ready today, but we've got everything for you. Everything except an excuse, all right? So if you haven't been baptized, we're going to pray, and then Josh is going to lead us in a song. I want to encourage you, go grab a change of clothes, go change clothes, and then join us right back here in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to have baptisms. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which we don't deserve, which we didn't earn, but Father, you give us as broken people. Father, today we rejoice with those who have come to a place where they surrender all that they are to you. Father, we rejoice with those who come home. Father, we rejoice with those who embrace your grace. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, that we could become new creations, that we could be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.